Good evening, exiles. I would like to be the first to introduce you to uh, your new home on Earth, where you'll be exiled for the rest of your life. Um, Earth has been divided into 193 districts, and you'll be relocated to the district known as the United States. Um, as new inhabitants of Earth, you'll be required to adopt the, the culture of Earth, uh, so some important things to keep in mind. We have a couple sayings. Um, Blessed are those who are strong, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, blessed are those who take pride in their accomplishments, for they will reach their full potential. Blessed are those who work hard every day, for they will be successful and earn their reward. Keep those kinds of things in mind, and you'll be well received by the people here. Um, on earth, uh, we find it very important to hate our enemies. Uh, we don't tolerate any kind of evil, and we always retaliate against our enemies. Um, because they certainly deserve it. It's very important for you to find your identity uh, in your ethnicity, your political point of view, uh, your, your race. Um, we just really want you to find your identity so you can distinguish yourself from others. Um, and we really just want you to support your own group as, and you should point out all the flaws in other people's groups. Uh, that's the best way to show the world how good you are and how right you are. In joining the United States, there will be some additional requirements. Um, it's extremely important that we do everything we can to establish uh, the United States. Uh, this republic is the greatest nation that's ever been on Earth. Uh, so we really want you to, to emphasize that importance of uh, building, building your home on this good, solid rock. Um, you can really just forget about the kingdom that you come from. The United States is a fantastic place to store up your treasures and to build your wealth. Um, also very important that we spread the message to the other districts that we are superior to them. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are exiles. Uh, it's extremely difficult to not be influenced by the culture and the world around us. Um, these are things I've gotten distracted with in the past and continue to get distracted with today. And I anticipate that many of us can get easily distracted in the kingdom of the world. My message to you today is that the kingdom of God is where we ultimately have our citizenship and our hope. And as such, we are called to live as exiles, and this is a good thing, and I hope to encourage you in that. So what does it mean to live as an exile? You're not at home in your own country. You do not defile yourself by the culture of the land that you live in. Um, if you want to turn to Daniel chapter 1, I'll read in there. For a couple verses. Um, Daniel was a man who was exiled in Babylon. Uh, so Daniel 1.1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. The king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both to the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food at, that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. 
And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So Daniel and his friends are taken from their homeland, um, and they're taught basically to become Chaldeans. Uh, they're learning the language and the literature, and they were even given new names. Um, I imagine that must have been hard uh, to leave their land that they grew up in. Uh, their names were completely changed. Daniel, from what I found, Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. Uh, Azariah, Yahweh has helped. And Mishael means who is like God. They were reminded of God and God's characteristics every time someone called them by name. Now their new names erase God's name from their identity. From what I found, Belteshazzar means something like protect the life of the king. Shadrach's name is possibly derived from Shudur Aku, which means command of Aku, which is the moon god, I guess. Meshach is probably a variation of Misha Aku, which means who is as Aku is. And Abednego is either slave of the god Nebo or a, va a variation of Abednegral Nergal, which means slave of the god Nergal. The point is, God has been erased uh, from their names. And every time they heard their, their new name, uh, it must have been hard to be named after a false god. I think that would have been upsetting to respond to at times. Even when the world tries to get us to conform to their values and their beliefs, we have to be determined to serve God. Uh, we see Daniel resolved, which means that he was firmly determined. He was resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. What an example. Uh, Daniel was not going to compromise his morality uh, to possibly the most powerful man on earth and disobey God. Are we resolved to not defile ourselves uh, with the things of the world? Oftentimes I fail to be as resolved as Daniel is here to overcome sin. Um, we often try to come up with excuses, but we ought to just be as resolved as Daniel is here, and not let anything come between, between us and God, even if it will displease the most influential people in our lives. Um, or it will affect our social standing or will cause any other kind of harm to us. Um, so for Daniel and his friends, there came times where their resolution not to defile themselves set them up to disobey the king. In Daniel chapter 3, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the amazing faith they had in God. Um, when Nebuchadnezzar pressured them into bowing down to the image that he made, these three stood their ground and they refused to do so uh, because only God is deserving of this type of worship. What an incredible story of faith. Um, we need to be able to view these powerful nations uh, with the appropriate lens and that they're not above serving God. Um, however, we do see that being exiles does not mean that we become rebellious of our captive nation. Uh, in First Peter, a book where Peter refers to Christians as being exiles, he makes clear that we are to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution 
whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. Besides this, God instructs the Jewish exiles to be very kind and gracious to their captors. In Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, it reads, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare uh, you will find your welfare. We are not enemies of the captor nation. We are ambassadors to the captor nation. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Because what Christ has done for us, uh, he has made us into his holy chosen people who have been called out of the darkness. Jesus brought us in. Um, have you ever been outside in the dark and the cold? Uh, kind of hard to imagine on a day like this. Um, it's dark and cold. Maybe it's snowing. Um, you're headed to someone's house for dinner, maybe. Maybe you're pretty hungry. You've gotten to the point where you're, you're putting your hands back up in the sleeves because they're getting cold. And then suddenly, the door opens, and you just become surrounded uh, by the warmth coming from the house. You're greeted with a smile. You can smell delicious food being cooked. You're in the light, and you just feel so welcomed. This is the kind of imagery I get with this passage. Uh, we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were not a people, but now we are welcomed in God's family. And God's family is full of mercy and acceptance and grace. This is what we want for us, and this is what we should want for others. Uh, let's show people the way to God. Let's be ambassadors for the kingdom. So it's important that we conduct ourselves as sojourners and exiles, not because we want to look like we're different in a prideful way, uh, but we're choosing to follow God. And because we make that choice, we're going to look different from the world around us. Um, our motivations for dressing modestly, using different words, not joking about crude things, being hard workers, showing kindness, these are all to glorify God. People will not see God if we are doing this out of rote tradition or out of some kind of compulsion. They will see God when they see that we look just beyond the horizon. Um, that will intrigue them. Why don't you use cuss words like the rest of us? I believe there's a God in heaven who has been merciful to me, and he wants me to be holy as he is holy. He's created me to be an ambassador, so the reason I do this is to the glory of God. Credit where credit's due. Let's do our best 
not to let praise for good deeds not go to God's glory. I really appreciate you for being patient with so-and-so. Thank you. I can only be patient because God was first patient with me. Find a way to glorify God in your conversations with others. God has entrusted a message to us. The message is God will not count your sins against you, and you can become a new creation who is in a right relationship with him. You are welcome to join the family. This is the mindset of an ambassador. Another aspect of God's kingdom is that it is entirely different from earthly kingdoms. God's kingdom is not even on the same level as other kingdoms of the world. I really like the song that that says, Nations are as dust to God, their people but as clay. I think that really encapsulates the the concept. Uh, In Psalm 2, it, it says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Bless are all those who take refuge in him. Our nations and rulers, um, even though they seem powerful to us, you know, nuclear weapons, aircraft carriers, fighter jets, even if every nation took counsel with each other and the entire arsenal of all of humanity were set up against God, God just sits in heaven and laughs. Um, We're not on the same plane at all. Serve the Lord with fear. After reading this, it's kind of a little like, wow, I I don't want to upset this God. Um, He's far too powerful. Uh, This is really scary. But it's not. Um, It's comforting that Christ is our king because of who he is. In Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 6, it says about Jesus, And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says... He makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. It is comforting to me that Christ is our King. Oftentimes, we can get discouraged with our earthly authorities um, when they're ruling unjustly. Often, they do not value righteousness, and rather the opposite. I've spent a lot of time hoping that just maybe, maybe the next election, we can get a good candidate elected um, who will bring justice and peace and righteousness. Or if we would just pass this legislation, or if the Constitution could just be amended in this way, I've come to realize that this longing is a longing for Christ, and it can't be found in human rulers or in a government system. 
Our God and King, Jesus Christ, rules with a scepter of uprightness. He rules with integrity and justice. Our God is not a corrupt politician, but He is righteous and just in every way. He sees every injustice that takes place in this world and does not forget the needs of the lowly. Sometimes we may even get a halfway decent ruler, but eventually they die and an evil ruler will take their place. Thanks be to God for a perfect ruler who reigns for all of eternity. Every knee will bow to the one who is seated at the right hand of God, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Even if a ruler is able to have dominion over the entire earth, Christ's name is higher. His reign is far above all rule and authority, and he continues to reign 2,000 years later. The book of Daniel also contains prophecies about the kingdom. In chapter 2, verse 44, uh, it talks about the multi-material statue that was built that represents the four nations. It says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from the mountain from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. All nations fall before God. At a predetermined time, each nation will see its end, as is with things temporal. God will allow the United States of America to be destroyed. In this world, there will always be wars, changes of power, revolutions, overthrows, conquests. Really bad people can take over a nation. But this is not true of God's kingdom. This kingdom will never be destroyed and it shall reign forever. We see in a lot of these passages, God calls all nations to worship him. Uh, When I was a student, I took a class called Cultural Geography, and we learned about the world and about uh, different regions and how climate and history affected the development of culture. Um, I learned that this world is very diverse um, in terms of culture and language. You know, there are people who live way up in the Arctic, um, there's people living on islands in the middle of the ocean. Uh, Did you know in Indonesia, there are over 800 languages spoken in that one country? Um... There are just so many different types of people, and it really makes the next passage very beautiful. Uh, This is a prophecy out of Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the cloud of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Even though this world is so diverse, the kingdom of God unites all peoples, all nations, all languages, and all time periods. Um, Nothing can unify human beings in the way that the kingdom unifies. We are all created in the image of God And we all ultimately need forgiveness. And that is a universal truth of every human being from Adam onward. Christ is the only one who can unify us. 
As humans, we are constantly driven towards division, however. Um, in that same cultural geography class, we took uh, pens and literally drew lines through the world map. Um, we drew one along the border of the United States and Mexico, saying, to the north are the Protestant countries, to the south are the Catholic countries. We drew a line across the Sahara Desert in Africa. We said, to the north are the Islamic countries, to the south are the Christian countries. Um, there's just so much fighting and division that occurs because of these cultural differences. But this is not the humanity that Jesus was seeking to create. If Jesus were to draw this culture or map, there wouldn't be any of those religious lines. Uh, Jesus came for all people and all times. We are all his children. And as members of his kingdom, we have a unity that we could have never had without Christ. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what language you speak, what your social status is. We all need Christ to be renewed. And Jesus has allowed all people to come into the presence of God. Um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2 talks about how God has unified the Gentiles and the Jews through Christ. Uh, 2.11 in Ephesians. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For, though, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's a beautiful image of unity, um, that all Christians of different backgrounds are being built up together as one temple. Um, perhaps sometimes we try to build the wall of, of hostility back up that, uh, that Jesus broke down. As I said, the world trends toward division. Um, look at what God has done to bring us all together. If I can't set aside my political views, my opinions, or how I think ought, something ought to be done, I rebuild that wall of hostility. The kingdom of the world is intrinsically tribal in nature and is heavily invested in defending, if not advancing, one's own people group, one's nation, one's ethnicity, one's state, one's ideologies, one's political agendas. That is why it is a kingdom characterized by perpetual conflict. The kingdom of God, however, is intrinsically universal, for it is centered on loving as God loves. It is centered on people living for the sole purpose of replicating the love of Jesus Christ to all people at all times. So how do we live as exiles? 
I think there's two things to keep in mind. We recognize our position. We recognize the extent of God's righteous power and authority. Um, we understand the weak and fragile, flawed authority of the world. And we understand the role we have as exiles and ambassadors in the kingdom of the world. And we desperately want the kingdom of God to come to us and the ones that we love. Secondly, I think we rely on each other's strength. Uh, We need a support group of strong Christian brothers and sisters. Ecclesiastes says, Two are better than one because they have a a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We need to have each other's backs. I think I would be able to stand up to Nebuchadnezzar much easier if I had Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael with me than if I was all by myself. I need you all to encourage me uh, and remind me that I will not bow down to the images. I need you to, uh, that we will not defile ourselves. You know, remind me of the God who is able to deliver us and loves us. Remind me that he is the one that deserves all glory and praise. There is a kingdom who is ruled by the one who yields the scepter of uprightness He is the ruler that you have been longing for. His kingdom is the kingdom that you long for in the depths of your soul. If there is anything you need of the congregation, please come forward while we sing.